Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. I'm Kevin. And this is episode 34 for the week of January the 5th, 2018. On this week's episode, will Margot Robbie stick the landing in I, Tanya? What shape does water take when a lonely gender gets curious about what's in the tank? And finally, orcs, elves, and humans. Three's company or end of watch? All this and more on this week's episode, guys. What's happening? Well, I tell you, when you know the last one that Roger described, he is not talking about any Lord of the Rings stuff. I mean, it, you know, that's it, one thing that I thought of with the orcs and yep. the elves. Yeah, it's talking about bright. Yeah, bright. Yeah. So, what's up, Adam? Did you have a good Christmas? I did. We've all survived the holidays, and now we're living in a frozen apocalypse. We We've are. had five or six straight days well below freezing, with no. Uh, recourse in sight yeah and i think at least a couple of weeks with i think one day hit in the 20s we haven't seen 30s degrees in i can't remember it's been that long yeah it's it's cold but everybody had good holidays and yeah. happy new year to everybody happy new this year this is our first podcast of 2018 and we are rapidly approaching our one year anniversary of the podcast Woo! it'll be the third week of this month uh, yep. episode will be around january 25th or so we'll do it and that week, we'll also reveal our top 10 list. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. So what else? Anything? We have some news. We don't, we're not really a news podcast, but we've been harping on DC for months. And we've been saying one specific thing over and over yes. again. They need guidance at the top. Yep. And they've done that. They've now tapped Walter Hamada to oversee their DC Films production. Nice. He's going to serve sort of as the Marvel counterpart. In the DC universe. Now, what, and wasn't he in the horror department? He's in the horror, and I, I know why they picked him. One, it was a massive success, and he yes. was part of the production development for that. But also, he was in charge of all these Conjuring films. I know you don't huge, pay much attention to them. but they're huge. It's yeah. a cinematic universe. These movies have spinoffs, and they all combine, and they all have connections, and he's overseen that. It's been a very organic growth, but it's been, I mean, no joke, outside of the Marvel movies, Conjuring's the best cinematic universe. Yeah. And so who, again, is the new head at DC? It is Walter Hamada. Nice. I'm, so, I'm hopeful. I've been asking. We've been asking this for all year on the podcast. DC, get your stuff together. Get a guy that has you, a singular vision that knows how to do an extended universe. And this is what I've said. DC has been all ship captains, no map. Yeah. Everyone's doing their own thing. There's no overall plan. And we're not going to see his effect for a little while because Aquaman is now in post. Um, Wonder Woman 2 is being scripted. I mean, that he could have an effect on that. Suicide Squad 2 is getting ready to go. So it's going to be a little while before you can shape things. But, but it sounds like you guys got your Christmas wish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think so. It's what they needed to do, and it's finally been done. Maybe a little too late, but... Better late, late than never? Yep. Absolutely. Think? Yep. All right, that's that's pretty much it. I'm, we have a jam-packed show. We do. Three I, movies. Yeah, so let's jump right in with our first movie, I, Tanya. We'll be right back after the music. You're listening to the Film Coterie Podcast. The haters always say, Tanya, tell the truth. There's no such thing as truth. Everyone has their own truth. I was the best figure skater in the world at one point in time. You call that a clean skate? Stop talking to her. That girl is your enemy. Who's that? Jeff was my first date ever. And my mom came. You need to see a wholesome American family. I don't have a wholesome American family. Nothing's ever your fault. I was embarrassed for you. My entire life, I've been told I wouldn't amount to anything. And you know what? Maybe I would. Never could believe the things you do to me. 4.8. How do I get a fair shot here? We also judge on presentation. Ah! We're gonna need to leave in the playing field. I know a guy who shouldn't even be saying his name. Derek. The press wanted me to be the pile of crap. I never did this. What is going on? We're with the FBI. They know something. What can you tell us about Tanya Harding? 
I don't know a Tony Harding. Okay. Uh, the first movie we're covering tonight is I, Tanya. Uh, it finally hit our market, but it's been blown up everywhere. Out of Toronto, um, a lot of the major fests, it's played well. It's being released by Neon, a newer company. And I have a question. When, when Roger you get done, has his hand up already. Is yes. That, no surprise. This is a movie about Tanya Harding. She's on the poster. Roger's I got another question already. You have to go to the bathroom, Roger. Let me raise uh, your hand. I'm going to get to the intro here. Okay, <laughs> get to the intro. You haven't even seen it, Roger. And Roger hasn't seen it. Kevin and I have seen it. Roger has not. So this is a, you technically classify it as a biopic, but it takes a different approach in having really three or four unreliable narrators throughout the major players in her life. Tanya herself, her ex-husband Jeff, the bodyguard, um, Steve. Get his name already. Uh, Sean. 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 He began with an S. And then her mother, Lavanya. So those are your four unreliable narrators. And it cuts to the actors in character. Actually changes format. And it goes to the four by three. And they they say, oh, that never happened. And then they yeah, show actually, you the scene. Yeah, they'll have, an, they'll have a scene where they're at. Because they'll have a, where they're setting and talking about it. You know, like an interview. And then um, sometimes during the scenes, they'll actually look at the camera and say, well, that never happened. I mean, yeah, the you know. characters do break fourth wall and then they, right. they fill in dialogue. Which is pretty cool, I thought. So it's a very creative assembly. And it's not really based on a book or anything in particular so much as it is just interviews. That was my question. Was it a book or anything like that? Because I didn't mm-hmm. have time to do any a lot of research on it. So. Now, Roger, right. what is your question? So normally when one of us does not see the movie, he gets to quiz the other two yes. about the movie. So I have some questions lined up for you guys. Um, first of all, and you already kind of answered it, why would you make a movie about Tanya Harding? What is the appeal? I mean, if you're my age and you're somewhat at all glued to pop culture or sports or the Olympics or anything – We've all lived the Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan story. I mean, it was, you know, we all watched it. My wife followed it, watched more TV during that time than any other TV time she's watched her whole life. So it sounds like it's the uniqueness of the story, yes, but even all the different, all the different stories is the appeal of this movie. This is the pop culture fun version of the story hyper stylized not hyper stylized but stylized in a way just to make it an entertaining film like if you want to just see the story the 30 for 30 on espn is the way which i've seen yeah and that's well done that's the way just to see the true story this presents a more artistic take on the story and it shows you a tanya that we haven't really seen before she's she's more or less the victim in this movie you've seen that she had a rough life an abusive mom an abusive husband she's never known anything other than that you know, she doesn't even know what a stable relationship looks like. Now, just um, real quick, um, how much of this is true, do you think? I mean, because like you said, I hadn't. it's been a long time. I did watch the, Har- the Tanya Harding and everything, and doc, you know, when it first came out and everything, how much. But how much of this movie would you say, you know, for people to, going to see this is reliable, um, percentage-wise? Most of it. In the, you were a little bit late coming into the movie you right were, at the very beginning in you know black screen and white letters it comes up that this is only as true as the stories we told the cops because oh. <laughs> it, it's going to these characters having right. these yeah. interviews with press or cops or everything else and you know they're right. not telling the whole truth of course but you know the majority of this is true the major events are all true but what happened in their home we're never gonna know tanya says he beat her he says he didn't yeah, well, yeah you know and then the movie presents it that way yeah well, it I, does I, present I, both sides i will say cool. this that in the 30 for 30 documentary, it goes into a lot of detail. And, you know, Tanya's mom even admits that she would just beat her if, if you know, physical discipline was very commonplace in the home. Yeah, I don't. I, you, you, know. you actually see the real mom at the end of the movie. Stay for the credits on this one because they show you some of Tanya skating. And then they show you the interviews. The actual real people were in the credits. Her yeah. mom and Sean and... And everyone else is worth staying because you see how close they were to their performance. Yeah. So, but, um, so thoughts and, you know, the, the big buzz coming out of all the press junkets and everything was, uh, Margot Robbie's per- portrayal of Tanya Harding, you know, um, did it live up to the bill? What about some of the performances? You know, first of all, did you like or not like the movie? Let's just go right to the cut, right to the chase. Thoughts about the movie. I liked it. You know, I mean, I, like I said, I was going in thinking, 
I'm not going to like this. Okay. He's like, Tanya Harding, I thought the same thing about how you thought, Roger, that, you know, that was in the 90s. <clears throat> that's pretty much, you know, who remembers her at this, you know, that, that time, of course, but now all these years later. And I was like, you know, um, but once again, I mean, you'll have a lot of, um, um, you know, biographies, um, documentaries, anything like that on, on people that lives, something happened a long, long time ago. And then, you know, this probably sparked interest where people are now getting, um, you know, Googling different things and finding out exactly what happened or what they can, which always happens. So, yeah, no, I mean, it was, I thought it was a good solid film. Yeah. I actually really like this one. I, I mean, it's going in my, we haven't done our top 10 list, but it's in consideration for my top 10. It's going into my oh, best wow. films of 2017. Okay. So it's in the running. <clears throat> And uh, performance-wise, you know, the accolades for Margot Robbie and Allison Janney, who played the mom, are spot on. These are two great performances from these two people. Agreed. Um, Robbie does a really good job with Tanya because she's, she's played as a sympathetic character in this movie. And it's hard to quite nail. We've never had a figure skater like Tanya Harding before. It's white trash. It's not graceful. Because they even show her doing her infamous dance move. I don't know if you remember, she did the robot when she was on the ice. She wasn't she wasn't the classical music type of figure skater. She was, you know, kind of bolder dance moves and heavy metal. Even her coach says, no heavy metal, if I'm taking you right. back. And the one, the one line I liked about, you know, um, I think it was her coach or something, was, looks like she's been chopping wood. And her mom's like, she has <laughs> been chopping wood. <laughs> and there's good scenes with her training. She didn't know how to train. She actually trained like Rocky. She was carrying dog bags of food on her back, running through the mountains. And then they cut to the coach saying, yeah, she really did that. Flipping trees and logs end over end. And the coach comes back. Yep, she really did that too. She, she yeah. trained with a lot of weightlifting. Now, one of the things, and you kind of mentioned this, and maybe the movie gets into this, the 30 for 30 documentary, which is my only point of reference other than the actual news stories, really makes you feel compassion for tanya harding and her whole life situation yeah. i mean i i just i initially just hated her and thought she's a terrible person and why would you do something like this and you don't deserve to be even on the planet doing ice skating you know but then i watch this documentary and i see the 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 um there's influence, always two sides of the story the influence of her family life and how she had to train you know here's nancy kerrigan is Nancy Kerrigan even in this movie at all? An actress is. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, playing her. So she is somewhat in the movie oh, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd yeah. say about like five minutes yeah. of that. Yeah. I mean, it's not, they don't con concentrate well, well, on like, that story that much. In, really. in, the, in the 30 for 30, they would parallel how Nancy was treated and how she trained in a private rink. I mean, Tanya Harding's down at the mall. She trained Well, it's literally. even worse when she's I a mean, kid. She, she won. she won the U.S. Nationals in 92 – and in 94, when she's trying to come back, she's training in the local mall with three tiers and people just watching her train. Right. And I mean, you know, she didn't have the money um, or the sponsorship um, that a lot of the other ice skaters had. And, um, you know, she was making her own clothes. I mean, yeah. you know, they said that she needed a fur coat. <laughs> for practice to go, stay warm. Go ahead, Adam. How did she get her fur coat? Her dad took her hunting, and they shot a bunch of squirrels. Yeah. <laughs> and they they made a fur coat. They made a fur coat. I, well, never. I don't know if that's yeah, true. Yeah, but I mean, still for it, the film, it was scene. perfect. Yeah. Now, what I would love to do, I'm going to go ahead and say it here on the, on the podcast is I have we have a good friend of mine called her name is Erin. She has written a review on our site already, way back the beginning of the year. Oh, for Hidden Figures. For Hidden Figures. She is a West Virginia girl, born and bred. She hunts. She can clean a fish. She can gut a deer. But she's a sweetheart of a girl. I mean, she is all of those things. I would love for her to watch I, I, I Tanya, and get her perspective. Maybe we can get her to do a little mini thing about what she thought about the movie or whatever. Now, what's cool is I, I've read some stuff about how Margot trained for the movie. The director just wanted her to do enough skating that she could start a routine and then come in for the finish and stop and pose. Yeah, I'd wondered about that. So she did a lot of the skating at the beginning. They said so they wanted her to do about the first minute of a routine. And that's how far she trained. And then they had two body doubles that were her height. Tanya Harding is only five foot two. Margot is five foot six, so she is taller. Now here's the really impressive thing. They make a big deal of it in the movie. Tanya Harding in real life was the first American female to land a triple axel. Yeah. 
Correct. Because it's all leg strength. You coil up and you jump and spin. As they say in the movie, you hurl yourself into space and expect to land oh, on yeah, a that's, I did like. Yeah, I did like that part, Adam, where they were talking about how no one knows. I mean, it, you know, just watching Ice Game, okay, that's cool. But actually talking about how hard it is yeah. to do that. I mean, first of all, that would be hard to do um, just on your feet, let alone on these really thin blades. And to do that. And when they showed it, and they even showed it in slow motion, amazing. So what they had to do this movie, so she had two professional figure skaters that were her body doubles that did a lot of the more complicated moves. They were five foot six. And again, a triple axle is all leg strength. Height matters. They couldn't do it. They can't land triples. So then they were looking at men. They were looking at shorter men figure skaters that they could disguise. And even the five foot six guys couldn't do it. They needed someone taller and it just wouldn't work. So what did they end up doing in the movie with CG for the, the slow-mo when really? she nails it, but it just shows you. Yeah, that. because I was one. I was watching that. I was like, "Well, okay, I know that's not Tanya Harding, yeah, actually, and I know it's probably not the actress that's doing it." But that's a testament so, to Tanya Harding in real life with her training and everything else that she could do this at five foot two. Well, and, her legs. I mean, they, yeah, just the legs. I mean, you can look at her, and you know, no. There's a lot of jokes in the movie about how she's built, and no yeah. one ever called her light, and you know, she's not built like a figure skater. Well, they call, yeah. I can't and there's good scenes the... too when they're showing the dressing room, all these girls getting ready, and she's just out back smoking. Yeah. <laughs> inner. I love it. Inner get up. I love it. But I mean, it just, you know, and it was the same thing. Um, like I said, there's always two sides to the story. Um, but I thought the same thing as Roger. Um, you know, what does she have? Why, you know, she has no business being in ice skating. She has no, and then when you watch this, you're like, oh my God, you know, she has every right to be there. Yeah. You know, uh, and, yeah. and the one thing that I really liked about the film, um, which is just like anything else, the, the judging, um, you know, she even went up to him and said, you know, how come, you know, I, I, I I'm not going to use the language she used, but you know, how come that you know, I did better than them? I know I did. You know that I did. How come? And the reason was basically because um, she's not presenting herself as well. Her clothes aren't as good. And she even went and she's talked to stiff. one of the... She's not graceful. Right. Yeah. yeah. And she even went and talked to uh, one of the judges um, at his car, knocked on his car window. And, and you know, she was, you know, because at one time she told him where to go and, and just, you know, but with this one, you know, she was really like, what is it? You know, why? Why? Tell me why I'm not doing it. And he's like, well, your family life, you know, just basically, what was some of the other stuff he said, Adam? Do you remember? I mean, it was just basically. You're, you're representing America. Yeah. You're not, that's it. we yeah. don't want you to be our image. Right. And, that, and that's what it was. She was a better mm-hmm. skater um, in every possible way, but it was just the fact that she was. Image. Yeah, and considered wow. like white trash and all that, and that's sad because that's not what it should be all about. You know, she should be, you know, she should be rated for her skating, and that's it. Well, there is a not in defense of that behavior at all with the judges, but there is an artistic score, artistic merit. It's not just gymnastics on ice, you know, right? You, but she yeah. was getting even for her technical. But, but she was, and stuff yeah, getting, absolutely. You know, they yeah. were they were going down. No, I have really softened, and my, my, you know, I've kind of really broaden my thinking that direction with with tanya harding since i watched the documentary no i will warn people there is a there is a lot of domestic violence in this movie oh god yeah it's not played for laughs it's to show you how tough it was as a child or you know she says the one thing people saw and it was her mom beating her with her hairbrush in a bathroom that was nothing like it was at home her mom kicks her out of a chair and it was a lot rougher and yeah because her mom's like the only thing that one time i did was like you know i i Hit her with my hairbrush, and then, you know, it shows all this other violence that she was doing to her As daughter. As a child, yeah. And, and then it's, it's even disturbing. worse when she's married to Jeff. They, they they show domestic violence there. She's a very tough woman, but at the same time, I, I would caution people, if you're sensitive to that, there's a lot of it in the movie. They're not playing it lightly or for jokes. It's to make her a sympathetic character and show you what she's going through. True. They're not making it light for jokes, but at the same time, it's not a tearjerker. I mean, no. because... Tanya Harding, after they would show some of the violence or whatever, they would show, you know, her, the act, you know, Tanya Harding basically saying a joke about it or something like that. Not to make light of it at all, but just so the audience didn't, you know, start sobbing. And they do some I mean, split screens with the husband, too, saying, I never hit her. That never happened. So they're, they're building in that doubt, too, because yeah. we have these four unreliable narrators right. telling us the story. Yeah, instead, she did this and, and showed her with a shotgun, you know, 
shooting at him. Shooting at him and blowing right. half the cap. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, you know, there is, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of uh, domestic violence in this, but I think the way that it was handled was brilliant um, as far as, you know, since there was so much of it. So, to- so as a movie, how would you, what are some of the markers you would give this just as a movie? Uh, editing, score, um, pacing, you know, all of that, you know, what are your thoughts about this movie? Well, the score was um, a lot of um, older music, 70s, 80s, mostly 70s music. And there was some Super Tramp in there and um, Fleetwood Mac and things like that. So it was a lot of source music as far as the score is concerned. So, you know, if you like those songs, yeah, I mean, I like that. And it's a lot of the music for the, the skating routines that kind of plays into the bigger stuff. True. Sometimes it carries over to the other dramatic scenes. Which worked very well, yeah. I thought. Okay. Final thoughts on, on I, Tanya? Recommend? Not yeah, recommend? I, I would definitely 100%. recommend. It's it's rated R, um, but it is just for the violence and the language. Yeah, but I mean, it's rated R, um, not just to, you know, for this time, and, you know, a lot of times they rate them R because they want an R rating, they want, you know, whatever. But this is rated R because her life was yeah. rated R, you know. All right. So Well, that's going to wrap it up for I, Tanya. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and look at Guillermo del Toro's fairy tale, The Shape of Water. Yep. You're listening to the Film Coterie. We'll be right back. That's better. That's better. Oh, look at Betty. Oh, God, to be young and beautiful. If I could go back to when I was 18, I didn't know anything about anything. I'd give myself a bit of advice. I would say take better care of your teeth and f- a lot more. Oh, no, no, that's very good advice. Pretty baby of mine. Pretty baby of mine. <laughs> All right, and we're back, and our next film on the docket is Guillermo del Toro's Fairy tale, The Shape of Water. This is how IMDb lists this movie to give you a brief description of The Shape of Water. A top secret research facility in the 1960s, a lonely janitor forms a unique relationship with an amphibious creature being held in captivity. And that's just the iceberg of what is The Shape of Water. So, guys, all three of us have seen this movie. I think there might be some disparaging uh, thoughts about this film. Um, I brought it in. This is oh Guillermo del Toro, who did Pan's Labyrinth. Um, what has he done, Adam? The mimic. Mimic. He did Mimic. mimic. Uh, mimic. Hellboys. Hellboys. Pan's Labyrinth. Yes. Uh, so... Uh, Crimson I, Peak. Yes, I'm kind of a Del Toro fan already to begin with. Um, I'm a fan of all three of the Amigos. I think they're great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what did you guys think? Well, what, what, let me. There's one thing I think it's good to know before this. This was Guillermo's. I'm using air quotes. Small movie. Yes. So after he had just gotten done with back to back Pacific Rim and Crimson Peak, he was ready to do something small. No, no blockbuster. No mega budget. And he said it was small because it just has one monster in it. And what we know now that was kind of a secret, Universal offered him the chance to run the reboot of the Universal Monster Cinematic Universe. They offered him the keys to the kingdom to do all these Universal Monster movies. Oh, my gosh. Hand it out to the directors. Like of remake them? Well, yeah. Okay. I mean, reboot and remake them? Yeah, the current version that we... Because he didn't do this, we got the bad Tom Cruise mummy that came out this summer. Uh, yeah, I didn't go Guillermo see passed because the it would end his career. This is what he'd be doing the rest of his career. True. And it's what I he see, loves. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I don't know if we'll ever get it, but my dream project and Guillermo's dream project is to do a new Frankenstein. No one I would trust more to handle Frankenstein than Guillermo del Toro because of his love for monsters and what he does. Yeah. Well, you didn't like uh, Robert De Niro playing him in no. Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> that was but I will say, I think this project was born out of his universal That's interesting. dating yeah. when they almost came together because this is a classic Gill Man. Yeah. It's an amphibious man, very much like the creature from the Black Lagoon. 
and you know Abe from Hellboy. I mean, this is a Gill man. I don't know what else to call him in the in the credits. They just call him the Amphibian Man. Yeah, he's the creature. Yeah, his version of the creature. Absolutely. So, what'd you guys think? Like it? Not like it? Uh, mixed feelings? Loved it? Hated it? I mean, I'll go first if you want me to. Well, I'll just say it right up. I absolutely love this movie. I mean, absolutely over the top, was spellbound, was drawn in. I had heard some of the rumblings, uh, um, and we're not going to get into spoilers because I don't want to spoil but some rumblings that, oh, there's some content that's very provocative, and he does some things to try to provoke you in this movie. But I thought all the things they made a big deal about were so minor, in my opinion. So, and so tastefully so handled. So tastefully handled. And, and there's so many. I could go on and on about the stuff I loved in this film. I mean, I loved the coloring of this film, the, the fluidity of how the, even the camera movement, even when you weren't underwater, it had a movement like you were underwater. Um, I, I like the use of color in this, in this movie. It was fantastic. Um, I don't know. I could go on and on and on, but that's just, I just want to say at the outset that I absolutely loved the shape of water. And I'll chime in real quick. I loved it too. It's in my, my best of list that I'm going to have to somehow, somehow break down the 10 films, but it immediately went into there. Um, I haven't had the chance to see it again, but this is a movie I almost felt like it was just made for me. You know, this is my personal taste for type of movies and everything else. And I, I just like pretty much everything about it. Go ahead, Kevin. Kevin's Kevin's getting more and more solemn and quiet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I um I went into it thinking because it's now. Do you guys consider this a horror film? First off, I don't know. No, no, I didn't either. Um, the, the Gill Man actually you know resembled a lot of the creature from the Black Lagoon, which was nineteen fifty four. Um, and the only thing is, is his lips were different. You know, um, I mean, so we can't. We're not doing spoilers on this on this thing. Not, not really. No. You um, can cut me out if I say anything, though, <laughs> because I do have a couple things that I don't no. make Roger's job any trickier. No. Uh, okay. Well, uh, can I? Just, I, I, no, I will have to say this. I love. I thought the suit was fantastic. We'll we'll talk more after in, you know. But in, in in an age where everything is CG. Yeah. Now I will agree with the suit. The suit thing. was was beautiful. That 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 amphibian suit creature thing was gorgeous and it was a real suit and it could perform underwater and actually had a respirator too for the actor yeah doug just jones. just as the same thing that they had in creature yep. from the black Lagoon. and doug jones i, I know I'm, I'm sorry i'm so gash i'm just jumping in here go ahead kevin finish your thoughts no no nah, well i mean it, so you were just like yeah you know okay okay well the thing of it is is um and that's totally cool. The, the, no, the problem is, is I can't do any spoilers, but, you know, hopefully I can say this. I well, mean, now you can say what you had problems with as far as, but not give details about what was going on. Right. I mean, there were certain things, obviously, um, you know, can I say that obviously they've captured this creature? Yeah, it's in the trailer. Yeah, yeah, it's in the trailer. And obviously they're not treating him too good and everything like that's that. That's all in the trailer. Right. Well, it didn't pull out my heartstrings or anything like sure. that. Like, and I'm, you know, I don't want to compare it to E.T., but, you know, with, with all that was going on, I mean, I, I really didn't. You know, um, gosh, there's so much I can't say. So we, we might talk on another podcast on, on, on things. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, in a way, it was just like free willy with. Um, you so know. you really didn't connect with the Gilman? I didn't. I did not at all. Um, you know, there's certain things. And you're not alone. If, if, if you read through some of the reviews. They're pretty overwhelmingly positive, but yes, there are, they are. There yes, are a few people that just did, are, are in your same camp as you. Right, and I, I mean, I didn't really connect with any of the characters at all. Now, the one, um, I'm not going to remember the actress name or Sally, the character's um, name. Eliza was the housekeeper, the mute housekeeper. Right, yes. her best friend or her friend at uh, Sally Hawkins. Yeah, Sally Hawkins, um, the other janitor, and Octavia Spencer played Zelda. The other Zelda, yeah. yeah. I thought you know she was my favorite uh, character of the film. Actually, I, I tell you, I. One, um, loved Michael Shannon. He was full-blown Michael Shannon in this movie. I mean, just... And that's why you hire him. Yeah, just all the reins taken off of him in his in his over-the-top self. Um, 
and he plays Agent Strickland, the yeah, the government agent yes. and head of the, uh, in charge of this asset. I, and I thought Doug Jones' performance was incredible. The way he holds, there's a physicality to how he holds himself, and how he walks, and how he interacts with people. And there were two performances that blew me out of the water, and neither one of them were spoken performances. And it was Sally Hawkins. I I literally think. If I was voting best female performance in a film in 2017, in my opinion, she's up there. I can't forget Francis. I know. I know you're going to go three billboards. I go on three billboards. (laughs) You know, I'm going to go for Francis too. And I didn't even see three billboards, (laughs) but I I think Sally Hawkins is just, Oh, I agree. She's great. No, she did. Everyone, you know, did a a great job, a good job, I guess, you know, and the cinematography I thought was excellent, especially the beginning of, you know, I had such hopes for, but again, Look at this. With uh, the Tanya Harding film, I went in going, I don't want to see this. You know, I was really looking forward to seeing this film. Really looking forward to it. So, you know, maybe I need to get a second watch, get a second viewing on this. Um, you know, but I mean, and when the opening, how um, the shot was with the water and her sleeping, not giving too much oh, away yeah. here, and then everything coming down. W- brilliant, wonderful. That um, opening push from water into dry land was an oh, incredible yes. visual and, sequence. Yeah, very, very good. But I mean, yeah, I just I didn't get into, um, you know, any of the characters. Did, Nothing did you, moved me and, at all. So you didn't feel any of the real fairy tale storyish of it, the fantastical no. elements. Okay. No, I mean later that night after I went home, um, I got out my copy of um, Creature from the Black Lagoon. And watch, which there, it's not a remake, guys. Anything like that, it's it's not. Um, so don't go in thinking yeah, that. Yeah, Gilman is a common trope. Right, exactly. Um, and I knew that going into the film that it wasn't, but it still made me want to watch Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, you know, which I that's I love that film. Yeah. It's an awesome film. No, what you said this had me sitting here thinking because you brought up ET. If you took the kids out of E.T. and just had E.T. on the run from the agents, from the way he looks, the way he acts, I think you sympathize with him. You like E.T. The creature, the gill man in this movie, isn't necessarily sympathetic on his own. He's just an abused guy. I mean, I don't really feel like he's an animal or anything else. I, I feel like he's a person in the movie. Right, but, but wait, go me, ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, so what makes me care for him is actually Eliza. Yes. She's the bridge. I mean, E.T. does not need a bridge. You just like him because he's kind of a cute alien and he's on the run. This character needs a bridge, and that's Eliza. You see that she cares for her neighbor, um, played by Richard Jenkins, who's the artist next door. You see how much she cares for him. Giles or Gills or whatever. Giles? Yeah, and she takes care of him. Yeah. She also takes care of this creature, and it's it's their relationship that makes me care for the Gill Man. So I think this bridge is what really works in the movie, at least through her. Yeah, I mean, and E.T. was, you know, um, Steven Spielberg and the way he does things and, you know, the whole thing with the kids and everything like that. I will agree, but um, even with her, I, I still, you know, I mean, I, I understood it and everything like that, but I've, it just, I've, I feel like I've seen that type of film so many different times and in so many sure. different ways. And, um, you know, you've always got... You know, either some creature in a lot that's true pulls more at your heartstrings if it's kids or stuff. But, you know, other films where somebody's beaten down, whether it's a gill man or um, yeah, Beauty a, and the Beast, a beast, a person. Yeah. yeah. And that's what there, you know, there are common themes. That, this is yeah. this is one thing that I want to um, that I thought about. And I, I definitely want to say before I forget in every horror film of the universal horror films and, and most of the, the genre, you always had the pretty girl, which we've got in this movie, and you always had the creature whether it was a Frankenstein, Dracula, whatever. Or a Kong. Or Kong, King Kong, exactly. And then, you know, he hated every single, he, he hated every single, um, um, you know, person except for the, uh, for the um, girl. Okay, but the girl always wanted to get away from the monster. That's the one thing I did like about this film is I, I think she didn't. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that was, so, that was the difference thing, the, the, the difference of any other horror film um, you know, was the see? I look at this totally different. First of all, this is not a horror film for me at all. This no. is this is a fairy tale, and secondly, I don't think the lead character is played to be the pretty girl. She's not. She's not. I mean, she's not unattractive, but she's not portrayed as the beautiful princess with the perfect hair and the. No, no you actually see that society doesn't give her a second look. Right, they don't. She is. She is maudlin. She is normal. She's mm. everyday, and. 
and she's attracted to the creature instead of repelled from him. You know, I think he goes, get, what Del Toro does is he says, I'm going to do a fairy tale and I'm going to take all the fairy tale tropes and turn them on their head. Right. But in the same, but in the same instance, I'm just taking the part of a creature and the fact that, you know, he's, he's always there being hunted. Themes, yeah. Themes, like Beauty and the Beast themes. Right. Yeah. Th- yeah but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And then this one is the only one of any film I can think of, whether it's a horror film or anything, where a creature, you know, usually is in love with, a, you know, whether you guys think she's pretty or not, doesn't, you know. Yeah. But, you know, she returns that I, affection. And I, I will say that I thought Del Toro at times skirted the line of being a little heavy-handed with his story. I will say that almost forcing his perspective upon you. I can see that. Okay. Now, not it wasn't it wasn't for me, but it was it was kind of like and I did see the end coming before the end happened. We won't spoil it and say what happened at the end. Too, there's no yeah. big twist but, here. But there's no real no. Yeah, the movie doesn't it, hang yeah, on it. You know, kind of a deal. Um, but I, I loved all the characters. I liked the way they interacted. I loved that time period, the sixties and, and all of the, the, the Russia and, and, you know, just all of this conflict. And, and I think Del Toro, I really want to, this is a movie I can't wait to see again. You know, uh, I think Del Toro is making some pretty overarching. I think there's some social commentary on this movie as well, too, yet to be explored. So. Uh, I was thinking about the social commentary too, which we can't talk about because I think it will be um, some spoiler alerts. But you know, it's, that's been done so many times too. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't mask at all. And in some of the you know, and again after the show, we'll talk a little bit later because yeah. I have some more questions for you guys. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, you got to think too that he it's the times, it's the '60s, and his three heroes in this movie are. A mute lady who's viewed as handicapped and no one looks at her twice. Another African-American janitor. And then a closeted gay artist. I mean, these are people that someone like the agent, like, you know, Michael Shannon's character, they have a superiority complex. They're blind to what these people could possibly do. I agree with that, yeah. There's a a huge, that that is a huge overtone in the movie. And that's what's interesting because it's in the 60s and, you know, that it works in the movie. That's I think that's and an I interesting would, I angle. I think people to it. would argue today that there are there are socio political factors and climates going on today where whole areas of society are just being kind of overlooked a little bit. I, I think that's some of that message I was talking about that is really kind of under the layer of this movie that I really enjoyed. I, I I love to see that. You know, I love to see the 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 girl who's not the prettiest one get the guy or whatever, you know, I, that, that's, those are the kind of stories that I get drawn to the Gill guy <laughs> or the Gill guy. Yeah. And, and I thought there was a, who would ever think I would never think I would never think that a Gill humanoid creature and a human girl, there would be chemistry between the two and dang it. I, there was chemistry, real attraction of both. They shared the, a common mutinous or not able to communicate or th- there's just something powerful. They connected on a different level than just normal. And that's really, I mean, well, it, just because they didn't communicate with their voices. I mean, there was still communication there. Right. So I wouldn't say and that this they couldn't all, understand what they were talking about. They could hundred percent. This is all Sally Hawkins. Cause uh, yes. you know, she's acting against a guy in a latex suit who is a little emotive, but not like her. So she's doing all the heavy lifting in this movie, yeah. which is a, a very good compliment to her. Yeah, which is why, to me, I think right now is the best female performance of the year for me. But. Yeah, and I think she did a great job, too. I'm not saying anything like, you know, as far as that goes. It's just, I, I don't know. It just, like I said, it just didn't do it for me. Okay. I mean. So I, I guess it's going to be two out of, th- uh, any final thoughts as we wrap up uh, The Shape of Water? Adam, thumbs up for you. Definitely recommend. Definite, yeah. Definitely uh, recommend. Yep, I definitely recommend Kevin. You, yeah. I mean, I, I will recommend to see it. Um, any, even, um, you know, we just got done doing um, a review on on the room. Okay, so I mean, any film, um, you know, I think is is still worth watching. You know, well, most most of the time, and especially a film like this because of. Um, you know, there was hype on it and, and, and that type of thing. And yeah, I mean, one person, I'm never going to say, um, yeah, it's rare. Let's just put it this way. It's rare that I'm going to say, yeah, you know, don't go see it. You're wasting your time. No, I don't think you're going to waste your time. I think a lot of people are going to like it. It just wasn't for me. Okay. 
All right, that's going to wrap it up for the, uh, the Shape of Water. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to travel through the land of Netflix to look at the Will Smith big budget, Bright. You're listening to the Film Coterie. We'll be right back. It's a new day. Back to work. We will not be listening to no orcish music. That is one of the greatest love songs ever written. Yeah, well, I feel sorry for work ladies. Three Adam Nine, show us en route. First time being shot at? Yeah, I dislike it very much. Yeah, it sucks. Now, go! What is that? It's a nuclear weapon that grants wishes. I'm assuming this doesn't end well. All right, we're back for our last movie of the evening, and it is a Netflix movie. It's Bright. Uh, directed by David Iyer, who most recently gave us Suicide Squad, Fury, End of Watch, you know, a whole bunch of other movies. And then it's written by Max Landis. So this was a $90 million Netflix movie. Yeah, starring Will Smith. Starring Will Smith and Joel Edgerton. Yep. And it's in a, a world like ours with some fantasy elements. There's multiple races. And two cops that don't like each other are paired up and get into peril. Oh, I'd say one. Yeah, definitely one of the cops doesn't like the other one. That's more. I than, will say that's yeah. true. The orc, played by Joel Edgerton, seems to like Will Smith. Yeah. yeah. And this is really a. Before we get into whether we even liked it or not, this is a motley. This is really a. a I've never seen a movie that has tried to do this, where there's a whole backstory of the fantasy in this: orcs, elves, humans. It's just I was like. Okay, here we go, you know, kind of a deal. Right, and there, it's weird because it reminded me of films, but I don't know why. I mean, it reminded me a little bit of, um, and of course I'm going to not think of the title, um, something nine, um, where they had the aliens and District uh, nine. nine. District Nine, thank you. Um, reminded me a little bit of that. Uh, reminded me a little bit of, um, again, not going to think of the movie, but you guys will help me here. Uh, Bruce Willis, um, it was a um, science fiction film. Um, oh, the uh, six, uh, uh, no, six uh, element. Six, fifth element. Fifth element. element. Sixth yes. element is the sequel hasn't come out yet. Yes, um, fifth element. Fifth, yeah, there were certain things that just creeped into my head, and I wasn't 100% sure, but, yeah, I mean, it was something that I was not expecting. All right, when this was first announced, it was announced at a Comic-Con maybe two years ago, people immediately assumed it would be Men in Black or R.I.P.D., you know, that's probably what you, in your head you thought this it's would be. Not, it's, it's definitely not. Definitely not. It is very close to David Iyer's End of Watch, the Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Pena movie from a few years ago. I mean, it's very close to that movie. Right, which you two guys have seen, correct? I have not seen. Oh, okay. Or you have not Just seen. Just me then. Okay, but, but so. But it follows urban cop drama, partner you don't like. There's all the the tropes that are there. You know, all of these, the, the bigs, it's just the elements throwing in a fantastical elements of sprites orcs elves a wand i mean this is all stuff in the in the in description in the right. credits not giving anything away here um and so the big question is did any of this work or was it a big hot mess for you now before we get into what we thought of it there was a huge backlash against this movie critically before this came out the embargo went up Got terrible reviews from critics, some calling it mo worst movie of the year. It hits Netflix, and by Saturday, it hit on a Friday. By Saturday, a lot of people 11 million it. people watched it in the first A lot of weekend. people watched it. A lot of people liked it and then started attacking the critics. So well, this was this was almost a reverse Star Wars situation. Very polarizing. Film, well, I yeah. said on the first, I think I said on the first podcast, um, you know, if the critics say it's no good, I go see it. I mean, a, <laughs> a lot of times because, I mean, I... You know, critics and, and fans are night and day a lot a lot of times, I think. Yeah. And so now with that set up, so critics hated it, people liked it, and there's a sequel on its way. Netflix has already greenlit it. Everyone's coming back, except Max Landis. Uh, he's off. Yes. Now who's uh, Mike? He's the writer. Oh, okay. John Landis' son. So anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. We won't get into that. So <laughs> <laughs> let's get into what we thought of it. Uh, whoever wants to kick it off. 
Did you think it was a train wreck? Do you think it was all right? Did you love it? Well, uh, you know, and the other the other movie was Lethal Weapon, and the only part again, just small snippets of these films, you know, went through my mind, and I I thought that was cool. Where you know, in Lethal Weapon, um, you know, they they don't get along too well because you know one of them is is nuts and crazy, and the other one goes by the book, and the org went by the book, and Will Smith was not by the book at all so it had that type of thing going you know um it wasn't really i wouldn't really consider it your buddy cop movie you know a buddy um i think it tried I, to have some of those elements yeah it did it did it, it tried to have some of those elements um i liked it um i thought it was you know i mean i'm not saying that it was anything brilliant that um you know but it was a good actioner uh for sure um and just the the whole you know different elements and everything like that were interesting. Okay, Roger, what do you think? Um, I thought the movie as a whole was a hot mess. I thought it had horrendous plot points. It, it didn't make sense. It, it came together in 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 ways that I just shook my head at times, and ended up just really liking the movie. <laughs> I, I thought it was a glorious hot mess. Yeah, I'll be, I mean, after a while, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. I, I was so intrigued by this setting where you've got these class structures, elves that are super rich and been around forever. There was one line, and this movie is a train wreck. I'm not going to, I cannot even, there's no apologetics to defend this movie whatsoever. And uh, I will, real quick, I will say, yes, it is a train wreck. And here's the thing when you said that. I don't know why I liked it either. I mean, it, I mean, it's just like I ended up liking it. I really did. So I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but go ahead because it is and, a train wreck. I will. And so, and so, there's one line in this movie. He keeps showing end of watch. Adam keeps flashing end of watch, and I wonder what the hell you're doing over there. And bright uh, movie posters, and it's the same movie. <laughs> anyway, Adam, you're a mess. So anyway, there's one line that grabbed my attention. There's one line, where, and I forget, I can't remember what gang leader or whatever. And and the one guy said about the elves, he said to the orcs, he said, "My, we've been hunting your people for a thousand years. And I know it came off as a cheesy line, but I thought, I want to read the novel about this, a novel that's written about this genre. I I, I loved the idea of urban you know, cop and, and, and inner city and all this stuff and orcs and elves and, 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 and the, the fantasy tropes and magic. I just love all those elements. And yeah, this and movie, this movie is terrible. It's a hot mess that I liked. Yeah. And the thing of it is, is you've got movies like that with gangs, you know, different gangs and different levels and everything. But you know, this was set in the future. Um, and of course, it was aliens that were these different gangs. Now, some gangs were humans, and you know, others not. And um, God, there was something else I was going to say about it, but I'm sure I'll think of it. Okay, in a minute, Adam, but. bring us back down to reality. <laughs> All right. So I was expecting the worst going in because of the critic reviews. Worst movie of the year. This movie's fine. It's not a. You called it a train wreck. I don't even think it goes that far. The worst I could say about it is I was kind of bored during this movie. I. It was the, there was just a very slight narrative thread carrying them from shootout to shootout, from a bar to a bar to another bar in a shootout. But what bothered me was I don't know that I've ever seen less world building because this world didn't make any sense to me because it felt like this is our world, but maybe all the fantasy races just arrived yesterday because all of the architecture is the same. This is two that's, that's, remember when I just said, there's, I can't remember, all of, I mean, it's a movie of the future, and you've got all this stuff. Well, it's and, now. It's and not the future. It wasn't? No. Okay, then no, I, I missed it, the whole point on it that It was one. modern times. It was like right now today. Yeah. And I want a movie that's set in a parallel universe called Earth that has orcs that have been around for thousands of years, elves that have been around for thousands of years, and humans, which are the new dudes on the planet that's just been around for like 10,000 or whatever. But here's my point, though, that this is L.A., yeah, there's an H and R block right there, and it, it's supposed to be L A. But this would the skyline was different. It was a little more modern. They had the elves. Well, here's had what made I'm their, saying, though. Had made their well, the cards looked exactly the same. Well, let me finish here. Let me. Okay. What I'm saying is that this is they pitched the movie 
is this is post Lord of the Rings. There was a Dark Lord 2,000 years ago. They say that in the movie and the orcs had sworn to him. That's why one hates the orcs because they sided with the Dark Lord. Right. We're supposed to believe that Middle Earth would turn into modern L.A. Like there's no weird elf architecture anywhere. I never got any Middle Earth Lord of the Rings. That's what I mean. There, should, there wasn't any. That's why I mean right. it doesn't feel like that's the world evolved. It feels like those races just arrived yesterday. It's our world. They've just come into it. Versus this is what Middle Earth would have turned into over two thousand years because, like I said, there's nature in our. And block. So who said it was this set up? Yeah, it's in the movie that there was a Dark Lord two thousand years. I mean, ago. Yeah, right. No, but I mean, as far as um, you know, what you were saying about how this is supposed to be. That's impl- it's implied. It's, 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 it's implied. What? Hell, I don't know. What movie are we talking about? <laughs> I'm uh, bright. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying that this world building doesn't make any sense to me because this wouldn't be the world after Lord of the Rings. It wouldn't be our world. No, but I mean, comparing it to Lord of the Rings, that's what I'm saying. The events of Lord of the Rings basically happened 2,000 years ago. They set up a Dark Lord and all these races. Okay, right. Which I, yeah, I've seen Lord of the Rings. So I was just wondering if that was your, what you were saying or if that was. No, well, it's in. <laughs> well, when Tolkien wrote The yeah. Lord of the Rings. He did a fantastical story of the Middle Ages right. before urban, before um, industrialization, before the Renaissance. That's that was kind of his. It was Europe. Middle Earth is just Europe during the Middle Ages. And he had all the races leave except the humans. Yes. But what I'm saying is that look at the elves. They've been around two thousand years, and they're nice Palm Springs area, just skyscrapers like ours. Yeah, okay. I, I see your point. And there's yeah, nothing. The society's the same. There's an H&R block. You know, I mean, like we have taxes. What, what do you want trope? Do you want them to be in like, living trees and, and, and hunt with bows No, but something? different architecture. I, we wouldn't even have a democracy. You think the American Revolution would happen when we have elvish magic? Uh, no. So. But yeah. I, that's what I'm Yeah, and that was my whole point, too, but is, like, is everything was like the same. Shadowrun. Very popular steampunk yes. with lots yep. of races. has handled this well. And I, I think it would have been more interesting if Netflix had gone that route with the material. I agree. Because I felt this is just, you know when you say it, a board game just slapped on its theme? This felt like a cop movie where they just said fantasy characters. I No, I I, I said it was a hot mess. Oh, yeah, I know. And I liked it. I, 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 I'm looking forward to the sequel. Now, I may hate the sequel now that I have all these predetermined things in my mind of what I didn't like about the first movie, but... I liked Bright, and it's on Netflix. If you subscribe, it's free. You know, I, I will say that it's definitely um, it's it's got to be rated R because the language it's is TVMA. Yeah, yeah, the language it's is MA. it is it is. You know, I was going to watch it with my seven year old daughter. It was it's inner city. <laughs> it's violent. You know, the language is pretty brutal at times. Um, yeah. yeah, there's nudity. Yeah, I mean, I was going to seriously watch it with my seven year old daughter because I thought, okay, you know, an alien thing. Because I had no idea what I was getting into. And I started it without her, and thank God I did because yeah, it's it's you know it's got yeah. it's got yeah it's got a lot. But I but the one thing I'll say real quick is I thought um, I had just watched um, earlier at the theater um, The Shape of Water. So to me, going in and I, which I did a lot of thinking about. So to me, I think I just turned off everything and just had fun with it. You know, just enjoyed the ride. Well, it's definitely not as bad as I think all those critics. It are is not, and even though I'm nitpicking. Yeah, it's it's perfectly but I, fine. I, I, the best way I can describe it is it's a hot mess. It has all kinds of mistakes and 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 in and and continuity issues and and pasted on feel. And I loved every bit of. I just enjoyed the movie. And the other the big the biggest nitpick I actually have, and I'm not the biggest fan of Max Landis in the world. I I haven't really enjoyed any of his films, but this story, you know, maybe they could have done something more interesting with a fantasy element. The problem is they're hunting a magical wand they have in their possession, then they have to protect it from these various factions. Crooked cops, one gang, elves. So if you had made this cop movie just human, it would have been a cell phone with a confidential witness's identification that everybody wants. The corrupt cops want it so not to be outed. The gang wants it for leverage on the cartel. The cartel wants it back. And then the FBI is coming for it too. So it just literally painted on theme. The MacGuffin was as common as it gets for this kind of cop survival movie. No, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. So. MacGuffin. Final thoughts <laughs> then? You know, I mean, I, I'm going to recommend it just because it's on Netflix and it doesn't cost you anything. Uh, it is a hot mess. I can see how people will hate this movie. Um, but no, I enjoyed it. I liked it. I would say I could see how the critics would hate this kind of film. 
but I, if you just want to have you know fun i mean it, it's really it's it's one that i don't think you should analyze a lot or try to think about a lot just watch it and have fun with right. it yeah and I, I don't recommend it. There's a lot better stuff to watch on Netflix. But, again, not the worst movie of the year. I've probably seen 100 worst movies in this this year. So, All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for our three movie reviews. When we come back, we'll do our last segment and look at kind of what's coming up. We've got an exciting month of January. A lot of big contenders are dropping here in central Ohio where we do the podcast this month. So stick around, and we're going to just kind of give you a preview of things to come. You're listening to The Film Coterie. Thanks for hanging in there with us. We're going to get to our coming attractions now. January is a very busy month if you don't live in New York or L.A. Because we're finally getting all the big award contenders that came out on Christmas. So this month, within the next two weeks, we are getting The Post, Phantom Thread. Um, We just got Molly's Game, which I saw when I was in Texas a couple weeks ago, and that was great. Uh, we are also getting Call Me By Your Name, and we just saw Itania. That was another one that was late to the market here. So, I mean, a lot of potential contenders here. Which one are you looking most forward to? Phantom Thread. Phantom, Phantom Thread, Thread. By, by both of you. Paul, Tam- Paul, Paul Thomas Tom Anderson. Anderson and, and Daniel Day-Lewis is supposed to the last movie ever. Oh, God. okay, God. Yeah, I saw uh, previews <sighs> for that. Um, that's uh, oh. Yeah, PTA, anything PTA does, I'm there. I want to see what. I'm well, because if I don't get a chance to see all these, I wanted to know, you know, which one, you know, what what's on, what's yeah. like. A, and what's the thing top? is too with this character. I mean, I haven't. We have none of us have seen Phantom Thread yet. All the reviews say this is one of the smaller characters, performance wise, of Daniel, Daniel Day Lewis. Lewis. It's not a big character because you know there will be blood. <laughs> Big character he enters the room. You know who it is. This is a very well. Yeah, I mean, movie. he's played Lincoln. He's play, I this mean, is a very yeah. nuanced character that he's playing. He's not going out on a over performative note, right? Which is, I think, the way he would want to go out. Just you know, nothing. Just kind of quiet. Not quietly going to the night. Yeah. But. So exciting lineup for Jane. And then we should start getting 2018 films, right? Coming. Yeah, out. they're a little bit slow this year in January. They've kind of gotten out of the way. Like Insidious is opening this weekend. It's yeah. part four, I believe. But they've kind of gotten out of the way because, I mean, this is the new trend, is that all the big L.A. New York award-winning movies all hit the first three weeks of January, and that's what people want to see anyway because the Golden Globes are this weekend, and they'll be announcing Academy Award nominations soon, and that's when people flock to go check out these movies. So, Yeah, I was just looking at um, some of my my list of films that I put here. Yeah, nothing really. I don't have anything till February that I'm looking forward to. Black Panther in February and Annihilation is in February. So, yeah, those are the you know, um, the films that I'm kind of looking forward to. So we also have our one year anniversary coming up. Yes, uh, it'll be the third week of January, uh, around January 25th or so, and we'll be doing our top ten lists. And we do encourage you. We'll remind you as we get closer, but we do encourage you to submit your own, and we'll share some of them. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else exciting, guys, happening, coming up? I think we have a great show, great set of shows coming up this month. And uh, we're also going to look for a surprise Star Wars vignette show to pop up into your feed. Uh, we had a little discussion today uh, about some, um, well, some, some prophetic attempts to discern what was going to happen in Star Wars back in... Oh, several months ago in October. <laughs> yeah, it's a I don't, pretty interesting snippet, I guess you could call it. Yes. So if you see a little 15-minute Star Wars vignette, uh, it's, you might worth want, it. it's worth it. It's pretty funny to listen to. So, All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for the Film Coterie. Uh, Adam, how can folks reach us on the social medias? Uh, the best way is always Facebook. We're just facebook.com backslash Film Coterie. We're active on there. We're also on Instagram as at Film Coterie. We're on Twitter as at Film Coterie. So we're out there. We're easy to find. You can even do this old-fashioned thing called email. We have gotten some emails. 
filmcoterie at gmail.com. Is that That's it? the address. There you go. So, all right. So, on behalf of Kevin and Adam, I'm Roger, and this has been the Film Coterie. We'll see you guys next week.